Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, and I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, what's going on? Um, nothing. We're recording at an earlier time. It is 5.57 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, a little different, but we both didn't have anything really to do today, except you had to get your uh, car um, refixed. Yeah, I had some car... Some car troubles, but we appear to be all good now, which is very exciting. And I don't know how to segue that into this um, this next topic. Well, that's okay. Let's just go with the, the awkward <laughs> transition. We're good at those. <laughs> okay, so football, we're going to lead off with that just because that is what's been on everyone's mind recently. Um. So yeah, let's just let's just jump right into Stony Brook an overtime win where the Dukes um I'd say looked fantastic on offense outside of the uh turnovers and they looked pathetic on defense. Yeah, it was a weird one. It's a game I certainly didn't expect to go to overtime. Um you're right. They looked pretty good on offense, had a bunch of turnovers that sort of killed them. Uh, I I don't think I really expected them to miss Rashad Robinson as much as they did. I was actually kind of surprised because I feel like the corners they have behind him are pretty solid. I don't know that they're NFL prospects like he is, at least not at this point. But I don't I didn't expect the secondary to struggle as much as it did. And you did a great job. You put a piece together on JMU Sports News where you looked at the secondary and sort of broke down the film. And I watched some of it too, and it was just crazy to me how how much the entire defense would bite on play action and how much yeah. would play action would move them. And even other, it wasn't play action. They'd be leaving, they'd blitz, right? So they'd leave, leave corners alone, like on their own Island, basically. And they wouldn't even like press and the coverage, they were like five or six yards off the guy. So the yeah. receiver got a free release when they're blitzing and then he would burn the receivers were, that's the other thing I'll say is that Stony Brook was a lot faster than I expected. I don't know if, if JMU, didn't expect them to be that fast either, but yeah, it was just weird tactics defensively. And then Stony Brook's offense impressed me a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah. I think one of the questions I laid out on our outline was what was the problem? Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of a weird problem they had in this game. I think their problem was the fact they were too focused on the on stopping the run. And they game planned way too much into that and I I don't necessarily rewatching the tape like we haven't ever seen that problem out of Landon Word before him biting so hard on play action so I don't think it's necessarily the talent level like I think I think no matter what like those guys are good players I think the coaching kind of messed them up though going into this week where they probably hammered home Stony Brook's going to run it. Stony Brook's going to run it. They're going to run it. And just they kept repeating that. And so that was their main goal going into the game. And they stopped it. But it's kind of at what cost type of thing where I think they were so hyper-focused on it. You saw it, like you said, on the play actions, they bite. And they ran a lot of cover one blitzes. They, they did a lot of man coverage, man blitzes. 
And the safeties didn't look good in terms of that. Yeah, that was weird. I think the safeties, um, Amos and um, Adam Smith kind of had a rough day, which is, is disappointing. Um, yeah, I mean, the defensive line, I thought, still looked really good. I thought the defensive line did some good things. I thought that the linebackers occasionally did some good things. It just, I don't know, there were things where they, I mean, times when JMU would blitz, and it seemed like, none of the blitzes really got home. And some of that was that Fields was able to scramble and do things with his legs. But I just, I don't know. It seemed like at some point he would just stop blitzing and try to let the four-man rush get there since Jamie has one of the best defensive lines in the country. Yeah. Instead, the linebackers sort of kept creeping up, kept creeping up, kept creeping up. They'd run play action. The defensive line and the linebackers would kind of have to hesitate a little bit because if it's a carry, you don't want to just run past your lineman because then you're, the running back's obviously going past you and, and yeah. getting a big gain. So they would hesitate for a second and then the, the receivers would be wide open downfield. It just, it was surprising. Um, and, and also maybe a little alarming for JMU fans. Yeah. And there's one play in particular that when I was like rewatching the film that really stuck out to me and it was in the first quarter, it was kind of a sample of what we were going to see for the rest of the game. But at the time when we were watching it, we had no idea that that was the sample of what was going to be seen for the rest of the game. It was a play action and both linebackers jump on it mad hard. And it was a crossing route. I think it was Nick Anderson or maybe a tight end who ran a simple little shallow crossing route, kind of like mesh that you run on Madden. And Landon word was supposed to be covering him in man coverage. At least this is what I assume. And he crashed so hard that the receiver ran right by him and Taurus Carroll just absolutely dove in on the play action too. And I think he had a zone coverage for the flat that Anderson was running into. And because both of those guys absolutely bit on the play action, he picked up like 26 yards after catching the ball, maybe two yards in front of the line of scrimmage. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that play up. Cause that's the one that in your film study stood out to me the most is because it looks like words on this guy. And the receiver just keeps running and words basically like locked in almost like an offensive lineman and the receiver is completely untouched for a huge chunk gain. And it's like, all right, that's a clear miscommunication. That's not JMU like lacking athletes. That's just whatever they were doing defensively on that play. Yeah. They didn't execute the way they needed to. So that's interesting. And, and I like that you brought up the point that it, JMU has this like obsession with the ball and stopping the run. Cause I think that's really important. And, and maybe we'll get to it a little bit later. I wrote a piece about this, too, where I think Jamie needs to alter its strategy. I'm not saying they need to completely throw all of their philosophies and beliefs out the window, and I don't think that's realistic. But there's <laughs> more important things in 2019 when you're playing football than stopping the run. Like, yeah, I do think that's an important way to control the game. If you can't stop the run in a football game, you're going to get smoked. But, like, Jamie's rushing defense is the best in the conference, Right. They're really yeah. good at stopping the run already. You don't need to send so many extra they were bodies. Eight guys on the yeah. Norm. That's leaving three guys to cover. Normally it was two receivers, so I mean not too crazy. But they were they were eight man boxes with eight or seven or eight guys blitzing routinely, and that's not, that's how you get in the secondary. Right, and then it's it's putting pressure on your corners, which I totally understand. But if Rashad Robinson's not out there, do you really want to put your corners consistently in that position? I don't, I don't know. I thought they could have adjusted better than they did. Um, and this is being a little bit critical, but just looking back and watching the game 
I was surprised at the execution. I was a little bit surprised at the consistent blitzing. I thought it didn't make really any sense toward the end. Um, but they got a stop in overtime, even though the, the stop was a drop touchdown pass. Yeah. <laughs> because Amos took another an bad awful angle. angle, just an awful angle. But I think that's something, too, that that's coachable. Because Amos is a guy that has pretty good speed, pretty good ball skills. If he just puts yeah. himself in the right position – he probably intercepts that pass. Like there are multiple plays where if the safeties put, take the right angle or if people stay locked on the receiver, it's not like they can't run with them. It's just, yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, running five yards, the opposite direction, you're certainly not going to be able to run with them. There was a, a guy who commented or, or, or replied to one of our tweets. It was some people going back and forth about the secondary. And mm-hmm. he said, uh, and this is something you hear all the time on comment, like commentators say it, you hear coaches say it, but when you're playing safety, especially in a cover one or cover two type of format, you play the deepest where no one gets behind you. And it's, and then it seems if they had been playing like that, the, the JMU safeties, they would have had probably four picks in that game, but they continuously bit up on the play action, which put that step. They were a step behind or they try to jump a crossing route while there was no route going behind them. And I think that was their downfall. I just don't, I don't think any of the team had integrity in their assignments. Right. And here's the other thing that stands out is if you watch like last year's NC state game, for example, um, Ryan Finley kind of shredded JMU secondary, but it was with like key, like 11 yard gains. This one field was averaging like 20 yards completion. Like yeah. he was torching them, or maybe it was yeah, it was like twenty yards of completion, probably like ten yards of pass or something like that. It, it was really bad per attempt, but per yeah. completion, I think it was twenty one point two yards per completion. He was absolutely torching them on these chunk plays down the field where the guys were always open, and that's what's alarming to me is at some point you've got to make teams sustain drives because JMU's defensive line and linebackers are good enough that if you force teams to sustain drives you're probably going to get a sack or a tackle for loss or some sort of play that sets them in a, a poor position, either holds them to a field goal or leads to a punt or, or something. You just got to make them earn it. And I feel like there are way too many plays where Stony Brook had massive chunk gains where you're like, you just, you can't give that up if you want to be a, a team that contends for a national title and you can't give it up if you want to win the conference title. Yeah. And to look at it, you're talking about really forcing them earn it and sustain drives. Stony Brook was five of 14 on third downs. Right. There were two of three on fourth downs, though. That's another story. But, yeah, on, on drives where they got to third down, they weren't necessarily converting it. But the amount of times they had to get to third down was minuscule. Right. I think there's just way too many chunk plays that JMU gave up, and that was sort of the issue. So do you think that um, they'll be able to rebound? I know from what I've seen, Rashad Robinson – um, I think he told Greg Medea in the media that he aggravated that injury, but now looks better this week. Uh, do you think that they'll be able to rebound if he's back in the lineup? Yeah, I, I, I think they can rebound even without him in the lineup, but mm-hmm. this is a huge top five matchup and I would love to see Rashad in there. Um, but, but like I said earlier, I don't think it was as much as the guys just not being able to play football. I think it was more of the coaching game plan, and Villanova is not the same as Stony Brook. Villanova isn't the same rushing attack. Yeah, they're good at rushing, but they're not the same rushing attack as Stony Brook. And the coaches saw what happened last week. I don't think 
the coaching staff and the players are going to make the same mistakes that just the mental lapses two weeks in a row. Yeah, I think they can rebound as well. I'm interested to see how they do just because they're going up against a really good Villanova team that's that's capable of doing some good th- good things on the ground and through the air. But yeah, I mean it's going to it's going to be interesting. I think the defense can get better. What are your thoughts on just the excessive amount of turnovers because I have a take here for you at some point. Okay, I'm ready for your take. I t- Is it weird that when I heard that they had five fumbles, I didn't realize they had five fumbles? Like, I don't know. Yeah, because it didn't seem like it. Yeah, I mean, but it was, they it did. Was, it was interesting. Obviously, getting on two of them, you quickly forget once they recover. Yeah. But still, still putting the ball on the ground five times in the game is, is wild. What's your take? I want to know this take now. My take. All right. So all these, there's so much out there, like in the media and among fans, it's like, well, when JMU cleans it up, they can beat anybody. And I agree with that. Here's the thing. JMU's going to do this again. They've done this so many times. You look at the New Hampshire game last year where they turned the ball over a ton. Obviously, the Colgate game. And I think Danucci's a much better quarterback. But even in that Elon loss last year, they had the game won. Dylan Stapleton put the ball on the ground. This is a team that they're going – like, you look at the national championship game against North Dakota State, you can argue whether he was down or not. But Riley Stapleton, with a fumble, it was called a fumble, so it goes in the rule book as a fumble box score it's considered a fumble i mean like every every time they play these meaningful games recently they've made mistakes and there's this idea that like well if jmu plays mistake-free football they're never going to play mistake-free football in a massive game like when we get into the playoffs and you get into those really really important games i don't think jmu is going to play mistake-free football so they're going to have to find a way to win with turnovers i don't think they're going to completely like clean things up so to speak like well you can work on ball security all you want but in the game that's a tough habit to build you look at Ben DiNucci who hasn't really fought much this year but even him when he runs around sometimes that ball security is not perfect and I just I don't know I don't know that JMU is going to clean it up like quote-unquote clean it up I don't know that that's going to happen I still think that JMU is going to have to find a way probably in the playoffs to win a game with two or three turnovers. So they're going to need to start forcing more turnovers. And I think, and we can get into this again a little bit later when we talk more about Lake Villanova, they, I think they need to be more aggressive offensively. I think instead of blitzing a ton on defense, why not try to be more aggressive offensively and then also just try to force some turnovers on defense. I think that's Jamie's best chance of making a deep run and winning the conference because I don't think this is a team that's going to, completely clean it up when they have big games. JMU is a mistake-prone team. That's just who who they seem to be. Okay, I kind of like that take. Kind of. Mm-hmm. They, I think they can clean it up to a point. I, I, I think the major, the major thing to focus on if you're JMU and you, you turn the ball over, you know it's going to happen in a game. Kind of like what you were saying, I don't think they'll ever be 100% mistake-free football. I think there'll always be mistakes and there'll be turnovers in almost every single JMU game throughout this season. I think what they need to focus on, and you touched on it at the end, being more aggressive on defense. They need to they need to win the turnover battle. I don't care if you turned it over five times. If you force six turnovers, you're plus one in the turnover differential. So as long as they're positive in the turnover dis- differential, I don't think that's as... I, I don't think cleaning up their their team is as important. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. crazy, but it, I think Chase 
mentioned it, or maybe it was Lawrence a couple weeks ago. That, that's the difference in this JMU team this season. They aren't creating the turnovers they used to. Right, and, and they didn't even really do it last year. I mean, if you look at the numbers, Bob Yeah, Trotsford, it was really just Jimmy last year. Yeah, it was 2016 was a great year. 2017, they still did a pretty good job forcing turnovers. You've got the, like, 10 turnover game um, with South Dakota State in the playoffs. And then you have um, last year just wasn't as good, and this year hasn't been as good. They're not forcing the same level of turnovers, and I think yeah. that's something that's huge. Yeah, and I think that if they're going to be aggressive on defense, maybe do it in a different way. Maybe you yeah. add – more people you keep the safeties back and maybe you encourage the corners to try to jump routes more or something like that or maybe they can find ways to be more productive in terms of getting strip sacks because they do get to the quarterback a lot but i haven't seen john dock or carter really knock the ball out a ton Um, i know mike green had a really good force fumble early in the game against stony brook but yeah i mean there's there's things to improve and i would agree that if they can start forcing turnovers then they don't have to sort of clean up because I still think they're always going to make mistakes on offense yeah I mean as much as I love Ben DiNucci like he there is a big time interception in him somewhere we saw him throw a pick and have a fumble this last game granted both of them you were they his fault but we won't get into that here um so I mean yeah this this team is kind of more on the turnover side of it it seems like their running backs just especially against Stony Brook, had a hard time holding onto the ball. But yeah. also, if they, if they become more aggressive on offense, and we'll get into this in a second in Villanova when we talk about opening up their offensive game plan, if they do open it up and pass it more, are they then more prone to turnovers? And then they're, it's really just a, a slippery slope that it's, I, I really am afraid that this Stony, Brook opened up, this Stony Brook game opened up a Pandora's box. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I wonder – it could go, like, you know, either way where you could sort of spin it like, Jamie, you found a way to win a game it didn't play that well in. And you could also spin it the other way where it's, all right, well, now teams also have film on a game where Stony Brook did a lot of really good things and they can say, okay, this is how you attack Jamie and this is Jamie's weakness. And if the Dukes don't fix it, they could be in a little bit of trouble. Which way do you think that might go? I think it's – Stony Brook gave the blueprint to beat Jamie. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I will say that, you know, if some of the blueprint is you have to force four turnovers, that's that's certainly easier said than done. Yeah, um, I, I think I think if Stony Brook either – I mean, this is completely against their philosophy and they would have never done it. But if they had switched to the pass earlier in the game and focused more on the pass later in the game rather than throwing in that random run every now and then, I, I think they could have won that game. Just, just how bad that secondary was playing, but I also, I also think that was Stony Brook is just stu- it, they're going to stick to their guns and they're going to run the ball fifty times, just like JMU is. Right. Yeah. If I was Stony Brook and I saw that you were hitting deep balls every play, I would have thrown a go route like every single yeah play. Like it seemed like it was working at a high level, and it it kind of worked on the you know the pass that ended the game where it was incomplete. The oh, receiver was open. It looked like you it hit him. Thought that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jamie sort of survived there. And I saw – I want your take on this, and then I'll, I'll share mine as well. But I saw a lot of people after the game comparing this to, like, the New Hampshire game from 2016. Do you think this is similar, the same? How would you compare the games? I think that's the wrong game to be comparing it to. In the UNH game, if I'm not mistaken, Jamie, you had, like, 
a 49 to like 10 lead, something, some huge margin and then New Hampshire kind of stormed their way back into the game. Is that the right game I'm thinking of? Yeah, it was, it was like a 30 point lead that I think they gave up 27, but it ended up winning by three or something. Yeah. So I don't think it was like that just because JMU didn't have a big lead at any point in that game. I think what it's more similar to is the 2016, 2017, those two games, even the 2015 game, even though that was a loss against Richmond, the kind of big time heavyweight fight, swing, swing, you score, I score, stop, makes a stop. And it comes down to the wire. I think that's the game we should be referring to, not the UNH game. The UNH game, the final score might be similar, but the way that game played out is completely different than how the Stony Brook game played out. Yeah, that's what were my thoughts kind of as well, um, is that I don't think you can take away the same thing when you're struggling in a battle against Stony Brook when you're – the other situation is they were playing at New Hampshire. They were blowing the doors off them, and then they sort of just, like, let off the gas. And then the lesson that it taught them that they were pretty open about with the media was, like, it taught us that we really need to finish games. And they started really finishing games the rest of the season in yeah. the playoffs. I don't – I don't know that this teaches that kind of lesson. I don't know. If, I mean, the lesson is just that they can find a way to be resilient and win, I think. And I think that maybe like the New Hampshire game, this has a chance to be a turning point or like a wake-up call kind of thing. Yeah. So I will, I will agree with that. But I don't think the game was similar at all. Like, I don't know that this, the game or like the way it played out or what it means for the team is similar. I think it's, you know, it's an October game that could end up being meaningful in terms of like a wake-up call or something like that. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, you look at last year when Jamie lost to Elon, a lot of people were like, this is the wake-up call they need. And they didn't wake up. They just continued sort of making the same mistakes because that was what the team was. So you could, yeah. I mean, if they go out here, struggle against Villanova, show the same flaws, then I think I think sometimes people are pretty quick to be like, well, it's a wake-up call to sort of give games some sort of title, right? So it's like a oh, wake-up call game or like, oh, yeah. this is – the gritty win. Well, yeah, it is. And it, maybe it is a wake up call or maybe it's just a seven point win against a mediocre Stony Brook team. Yeah. And so that leads me into this next question. Is this team overrated? It's a good question. It is a good <laughs> question. I'm sure you're the one that said this. That made me want to throw this in the outline. I mean, I think a little bit. Yeah. Like I think fans probably put, themselves in the same conversation as North Dakota State and you look at what North Dakota the State has done and they've been, maybe been a little more impressive but even North Dakota State hasn't been that impressive like UC Davis looks like they're not even make the playoffs anymore and that yeah, was a game that where was everyone, a close game they UC right Davis could have won that game right they probably should have they didn't make so many like red zone turnovers but then you've got you know North Dakota State fans who were like huge top five win and then they won't mention the fact that now like UC Davis is unranked. Like, so great job beating the unranked team at home, barely, you know? And, and like, Stony Brook. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, who knows? But yeah. Right now, it was a win over a 24th ranked right. Stony Brook team. And with the loss, they moved up two spots in the top 25. <laughs> and who knows if in five or six weeks, Stony Brook's there in the top 10. Right, exactly. So Stony Brook could be way better than we think. And you see Davis, and on the other hand, Stony Brook could also lose a couple here yeah. and then become unranked and it can become – I mean, we just don't really know all that much yet. So what I will say is that I think, like, most FCS teams are kind of overrated, to be honest with you. Like, I don't <laughs> think the FCS this year is that strong. You look at JMU, 
they had West Virginia on the ropes. They did some really good things in that game, but ended up losing. West Virginia's not really that good a team. Well, you know why they uh, lost? Their secondary problems. Yeah, they did struggle in the secondary. That's very true. <laughs> they also threw a mind-boggling interception. So, I mean, they have – I don't know. I just – it's it's hard for me to to really buy in on any FCS team right now, which maybe is a little bit – pessimistic but i just think all the fcs teams are kind of overrated i don't think north dakota state like just because they beat illinois state by a lot on the road like is illinois state really that good i know they were out their top two receivers like i don't know how impressive that win really is yeah well i have a question for you if if all fcs programs are overrated and and all of that (laughs) not that i'm not that i'm discrediting what you're saying yeah but if you had the choice between in frisco is it going to be JMU or or so kind of who's going to win the national championship? JMU or North Dakota State or the field? Who are you putting the money on? I would put it on JMU or North Dakota State, but I still think. Well, I mean, I think that's part of the point is that there's like, I don't think there are that many good teams. Which again, I'm being pessimistic or cynical, but I just I think South Dakota State's a really good football team. Weber State's pretty solid. Villanova, from what I'm seeing, is is good. Montana looks really good. Montana State's pretty good. Um, you know, Towson's okay. Towson's not going to win the national championship. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, but it, it sounds like it's a bunch of, oh, they're good. They're okay. They're, they're hot yeah. right now. Because, like, it seems like an FCS, who can catch fire at the right time? North Dakota State just seems to have caught fire for the last 10 years. But, right. like, I see what you mean. Like, it, like we don't know. Is Stony Brook a good team? It, it could, we just don't know. And, JMU, I think, just because they're undefeated, they took a Power 5 team. Yeah, they're not a good Power 5 team. It's a rebuilding year for them. But they took a Power 5 team to the ropes. They beat down on Elon, who was a good team last year. I think a lot of what the FCS is is what history is and what, like, the recent history is, if that makes sense. Right, right. And the other thing I'll say is that what JMU and North Dakota State have been able to do in terms of being consistently good where they recruit really good talent and they don't have major rebuilding years, that's super impressive. And I don't want to discredit the FCS level. I love the <laughs> FCS level. I think it's really good. There is really good, good football. Save. But there are, like, I mean, there are Jamie fans out there that are like, yeah, like, Jamie plays at Cincinnati. Jamie wins that game. Like, we're based an AFC team. Like, no, you're not. Like, I don't think this year's team would go on the road to Cincinnati and win. I think they could be competitive in that environment. And I think they'd be super amped for it. But if you put JMU in the AAC this season and you give them like the week in, week out grind, I, I think their secondary might get torched on numerous occasions because it did by Stony Brook. Stony Brook played Utah State this year and lost 62 to 7. Like Stony Brook's not an elite FCS program. I don't think they're an elite football program. They do some things well. I was impressed with them. Some of the major FCS teams, because they have so much fan support, because they have so much media attention, they get a little bit overhyped. So I think JMU, 100% their national title contender, 100%. I think they're one of the five best teams in the FCS. I also think, like, I wouldn't be stunned if Villanova wins this this Saturday. That's kind of my point. It's just I think that there's a lot of, like, the top eight teams in the FCS are all pretty dang solid. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that there's a huge gap between all the teams. Yeah, there's kind of more parity than what we think. Yeah, yeah. So, you kind of touched on it. With everything that's happened, we've seen the secondary struggle. We've seen the D-line shine. We've seen the offense kind of 
come into their own when they pass it, it it works really well for them when they run it works really well for them i mean granted they're running it 70 percent of the time so what do you expect this week against a top five program i'll put air quotes no one can see it since this is a podcast but air quotes around a top five villanova team i'm putting air quotes around it because of the conversation we had we just right. had this is to the public, not because Villanova isn't a top five program. Just just throwing that out there. Not trying to shade Villanova. Yeah, I mean Villanova's a solid team, like you said. And I think is gonna do what it does. It's gonna run the ball and try to stop the run. I think it might ease off that a little bit, but it's gonna be a hard fought game. Villanova also does a very good job running the football. They run they're one of three teams with Stony Brook and JMU being the other two to run for over two hundred yards a game in the CAA. They're also one of Two teams, and Jamie is the only other one, to hold hold teams to fewer to 100 rushing yards per game. Uh, so they're good. They run the ball. They stop the run. Daniel Smith's a good quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're a good team. What I will say is I think, and I wrote about this on JMU Sports News, I think that it's almost criminal how little JMU utilizes Ben DiNucci. Like, it's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. They average, they got over 300 rushing yards on 56 carries against Stony Brook, which is awesome. They averaged 5.9 yards per carry. Fantastic. They yes. also averaged 12.8 yards per pass attempt. That's with a lot of drops. Ravenel had two drops. They weren't perfect passes, but they could have been caught. And then Brandon Polk, if you look at the replay, he dropped the pass. It was intercepted and hit him in the chest. It, um, that hands was a were, bad one. His hands were, like, too far extended. I don't really know what happened. Polk's been really good, so I was surprised to see that. But He's had a couple drops this season, though. Yeah. He has, he has. But, I mean, Danucci's been unbelievable, right? He's yeah. also averaging, like, 5.7 yards per carry, and that includes sacks. I mean, he's just – I think, to me, the most – the best play that JMU has is when Ben Danucci drops back to pass because he can scramble, and he's doing that very well, or he can pass, and he's killing teams. He's one of – I think it's, like, one of six FCS quarterbacks who's averaging a first down per pass attempt. Crazy. But they're th- they threw the ball 17 times against Stony Brook and ran it 56 times when they have their – I mean, Danucci gets them a first down per pass attempt, and they're running the ball like 70% of the time. It, that's insane to me. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah, there was – they – it's hard for me to say something on this talk. Like, <laughs> this sounds so terrible on for everyone listening. I'm sorry for what that just sounded like, but – the gears are it turning. It's just as hard to comprehend. Like, yeah. they, he's destroying and shredding defenses this season, yet they passed it 17 times in a game where it was, you could argue, a shootout where it was a back-and-forth game all, 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 all game where you needed, at points, a pass attack. And they just never – they just chose not to do it. It's crazy. And, I mean, I do know that the stats are slightly inflated, right, because if they drop back to pass and Ben Benvenuti scrambles, it goes down to say that's a run. But, I mean – Yeah, but still. Even then, the disparity is so huge, right? And the thing that stood out to me, I was looking at Villanova's defense, and they've given up at least seven yards per pass attempt in every CA game. That's against Towson, Maine, William & Mary. Uh, Flacco and Ferguson, so that's Towson's quarterback, Flacco, and then Chris Ferguson at Maine. Neither of those quarterbacks are in the top 10 in the conference in passing efficiency, right? So they're super inefficient, even though they do some things really well. 
Well, William and Mary quarterback Kilton Anderson is in the top 10. Ben DiNucci leads the conference. And last week against Villanova, Anderson went 25 for 33 for 245 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks against that Wildcat defense. It is insane if JMU is going to go out there this week and just run the ball for five yards of play. Like, I yeah. get if it, if it works and they're scoring, I mean, I get it. But it's also you have a chance to just light people up and drop incredible scoring totals and do all these great things because Danucci's playing so well. And Jack, you'll like this analogy, I guess. It reminds me of watching the Seahawks. I was going to say that. You have Russell Wilson, man, and he's killing teams, and then they just run the ball with Carson, and you're like, what is going on? Yeah, so when I was just stumbling over my words earlier, I was debating whether or not I should bring up the Seahawks because I feel like I do at at an insane clip. So I'm glad (laughs) you brought it up because, it. I mean, it's so true. Yeah, like – this it, coming into this football season, talking NFL, there's been a lot of talk around analytics and how running the ball is antiquated and you should be passing the ball on almost every down and you should go for it on fourth down. Like all of that mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. And coming into it, I was a huge nerd with that. Like I love stats. I love showing that, that running the ball isn't really that great of a thing when you're only averaging three yards a carry, but you can pass it and, and blah, 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 blah. But then as I've watched this season unfold, I've kind of almost retracted some of my beliefs on that. And I'm kind of more of a firm believer that you have to run. But that leads me into my next point. You don't run to set up the run like JMU's doing. (laughs) Right. Like You've run the ball enough. I'm fine with a 60-40 split. 60 runs, 40 passes. Yes. Like I'm fine with that split. 55-45, that's a good split. 50-50, 50-50, that's a fine split. Anything less than that. If you're passing more than you run, see, that's where I get into the kind of maybe not. But JMU runs the ball really well. So you know what that sets up really well? We saw it in case in point with the JMU secondary last week on Saturday. When you run the ball really well, play action is going to make the defenders step out of their shoes and look like fools on the deep pass. Danushi has been putting the ball in perfect places when it's a, a pass more than let's say 40 yards of mm-hmm. airtime. Like he's balling out and you have the ability to have wide open receivers running free 50 yards down the field, but you're choosing to run it every single time. That's what's driving me crazy is he's throwing 50 yard dimes. Like he's throwing the ball so well and they're still not really utilizing him the way that I think they should be. And again, I'm not, I'm not asking them to completely abandon the run. I think that'd be kind of insane. And I don't think that's the right strategy. Look yeah. at the way Jamie's offensive line is playing the running backs. Like I get it. They're a run first team, be a run first Which, team. Yeah. That's not bad, but, but make it a 60, 40 split, not a 70, right. 30, not a 56 carries to 17 throws. And yeah, that is weight is, is skewed because of sacks and because of scrambles. But give Danucci 25 to 30 chances to – maybe not that high. Give him 20 to 25 chances to throw. And I know you're, if you're sit, like sitting at home listening, you're like, well, 17 and 20, there's no difference there. That's a difference. He's had – in a lot of the games, they have given him the 20 to 25. I'm, I'm going higher. I think he should really? be getting 20, 25 to 30 pass attempts. In a big game against Villanova, and you look at – and look, at, I, mean, I think it depends on the team, but Villanova's – Rush defense is second in the conference. They're dead last in passing yards allowed per game in the CAA. Like, oh. I don't, 
I would go at him. Like, I'd throw the ball. And you look at what William Mary did with a quarterback who's not as good as Beninucci. They were efficient. They did things really well. I would, I would throw it at least 25 times in this game. I'd be stunned if – well, I would be stunned if they don't. But I would – you know, <laughs> I don't think it's – I don't think it's the right decision if they don't. I think that they should let Danucci throw it. To me, that's when they're at their best because Danucci can scramble. And then you've also got both Stapletons, Polk, Jake Brown, Kendall Dean. The offensive line's been protecting pretty well. Yeah, the offensive line's looked really good this season. Yeah, I mean, I just think they're going to be more – I think it gives them a better chance to win if they do more play action, especially on, like, first down when teams are definitely expecting run plays. I think the Dukes can march down the field throwing it, and that'll open up the run even more. I just think that a, a more balanced attack. I'm not. I'm not asking for, or requesting or whatever. You're not requesting a fifty-fifty split or passing it more. You just exactly. Want, you want to see, and I don't blame you being a Seahawks fan. Like it, it kills me that they don't open up the playbook. Again, there's that term that we've made fun of on this podcast before, <laughs> but it kills me when they just are sticking to their guns of run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And it kills me with JMU, too. Granted, they're undefeated in conference play. They're undefeated in the FCS. They did get a squeaker out on Stony Brook, but I do want to see more electric plays. I want to see a 50-yard dime throw to Danucci from Danucci to Polk. I want to see that once a quarter, please. I think they should give him the opportunity. He threw one deep ball, and I can't remember if it was to Brown or Polk that wasn't caught, but the defender made a really nice play. The throw is pretty close to perfect. His deep ball throws have been really accurate. Um, he's been pretty good in the short to intermediate range as well. I would, I would just give him more chances. I think it he's makes been good all season. Right. I would, I would give him chances. I think he makes the team better. I think he's the best player on the offense. So I think that they need to find more balance, in my opinion, just because Danucci's playing so well. And I also, I mean, I think it, look, it's a case by case basis a little bit. If you get up 14 nothing on Villanova, I don't know that you should then start slinging it around a million <laughs> times, right? Like then, then maybe that does make more sense to sort of do, yeah. sort of stick to your original strategy. But against Stony Brook, that's a dogfight where your defense is doing nothing. Like yeah. throw the ball. Granted, that point that you just brought up, if you get up 14 0 on Villanova, then run the ball. That is also why their numbers are kind of inflated. I mean, they crushed Morgan State. They crushed um, Elon. They crushed Chattanooga and that other um, cupcake game they had. Who did they play? Oh, St. Francis. Or, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, in those games, of course, your running numbers are going to be a little bit inflated because you're playing against trash competition. Not That sounded terrible. Elon is not trash. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. But So that's going to inflate it. So if they get up 14-0, I would like to see them run it 60 times in a game and throw it 15. But I, I know what you mean. In a dogfight against Stony Brook, why didn't you pass it more? Why, why were you so hell-bent on trying to stuff the ball down their throat, especially when your running backs were fumbling it at such a high clip? Right, exactly. It didn't make a, a ton of sense to me. And I was, I was thinking the same thing at the point you made where it's like, all right, well, Jamie's beating – the living snot out of some of these teams. Of course, they're going to run the ball a million times. They actually run the ball at a higher percentage in their one possession games. So they ran the ball. I think it was, it's like 68% on the season so far um, against West Virginia and Stony Brook. They ran the ball 74% of the time. Oh, wow. So they actually, they actually ran the ball more in terms of like, you know, percentage of runs yeah. in the West Virginia and Stony Brook game. Now, part of that is that I think Danucci scrambled a bit more in those games. 
than he did in some of the other ones. So I think it and also it definitely against West Virginia, they were trying to keep their defense on the sideline, kind of keep West Virginia off to the edge and try to win time of possession to win a game. But that we're looking too much. I'm looking too much into that one. No, no, I get what you're saying. But it's just crazy to me that, like, you're playing these one-possession games. You've got Ben DiNucci, who is arguably the best player on your offense. Best player you're only TAA. Right, and you're only letting him do things in terms of passing the ball, like, 25% of the time. That just – yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. So I've, I feel like I've belabored the point. But I do think if JMU <laughs> throws it – and we'll talk about it on the next podcast. If they get 25 or more pass attempts, I don't – I don't think there's any way they lose the game. And I know that that if they have that many pass attempts, there's a good chance that it's because they maybe need to pass it. So maybe my argument is flawed in that sense. But I think if they do it within the flow of the offense and they give him, what would that be an average of per quarter? I don't even know. Like six per quarter. If he gets six or seven passes per quarter, like throughout the game, I think they have a really good chance of winning. Yeah, I can. I, I like that. Six or seven passes a quarter and see what see what happens from there. I had another point, and I lost it. Well, we all lose points. What are your thoughts, though, on the Villanova game? Um, I think I I think Jamie's going to win this game handily. I really I was you, we were in a text chain with a friend of ours, and we were talking about it. Dom, if you're listening, shout out to Dom. Um, but I really think think Jamie's going to win this game. I mean, it's not homecoming. It's family weekend, but it's... Hey, shout out to the families out there. <laughs> but it, it, it's JMU's homecoming. I mean, after being on the road for almost right. a month, like, they're finally coming home and playing a game in front of Bridgeforth. It's sold out. The That environment's going to be electric for two quarters. And don't see Villanova being able to come in and keep up with JMU. I think JMU is going to kind of see what, what's been happening. I think they're going to pass it a little bit more. And this goes against everything we've just been talking about, but this is just my gut feeling. My mind is saying this isn't going to happen, but my gut is saying Villanova is going to come in, struggle to keep up with JMU. JMU is going to maul them on the defensive and offensive line because that's what they're doing all season. They have FBS talent at those positions, and I think they're going to – beat Villanova and I think they're going to win. I think that 11 and a half point spread is just a, I think they're going to win by two touchdowns. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know what to think about this one because Villanova has <laughs> been pretty impressive, right? They've got Towson, Maine, William and Mary. They've already beaten all of them. Then they played like three Patriot league teams. Or but is Towson as good as we thought they were? I think Towson is exactly what we thought they were because they can't and, play defense and they can score. And William and Mary, that William and Mary win, is William and Mary what we were hyping them up to be at the beginning of the season? I don't know if they're that good, but I do think they're scrappy. And I think Maine's also overrated. So you could argue that all the three teams they've beaten are, like, slightly overrated. That's what but, I was going to say. But they, <laughs> but I still think they're solid wins, especially in terms of the CAA. But, I mean, I do think I'll kind of agree with you. I think Jamie probably wins by about 10. I think they'll be more locked in. And I also think being at home is so nice for them. They're going to be able to, you know, spend more time um, in their – in the apartment or whatever. And just, I think they normally stay at a hotel the night before the game, but they'll yeah. be locked. They'll be locked into what they're doing and they'll be locked in. The crowd will help. I know it's already a sellout because people want to see this game. So I think that the crowd noise, the fact that they're able to be in Harrisonburg, practice in Harrisonburg without having to go on a trip, just go to class all throughout the week. 
as opposed to maybe having to uh, skip some Friday stuff and do things like that. I think that helps more than people realize. So I'll say, I'll agree with that. I'll say Jamie wins by like 10. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think this game will ever be in question. Wow, you're very confident in the Dukes. Yeah, and we've seen what happens when I'm confident. Last season with Elon, this last week against Stone. <laughs> Normally when I'm confident means we're going to lose or it's going to be a close game. But with those picks, that leads us into this week's. It's time for this week's Weekly Pick'em. Starting from Richmond, they go to Orino. I think I pronounced that wrong. Maine. What do you got? Before we start, I wanted to let everyone know that I still have a two-game lead in the standings. Okay. Uh, nine. That first <laughs> week, we can't. I don't think I can drop the F bomb. Really messing up because we've been equal every week outside of that first week. Yeah, I mean, I'm nine and four. You're seven and six. I have a two-game lead. It's a commanding two-game lead, and I feel confident. We have five games this week, though. Jeez. Yeah. Come right, you got a in. chance. You got it. You actually, yeah. This is a pretty good chance to come back. Okay, so to get back to your question, Richmond at Maine. Richmond beat Albany. I'm bad at picking Albany games. Like I'm, I'm like over two in the last two. Great Danes. I mean, when you've got a program that's a story, just Albany. It's just hard to know what they're gonna bring. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I'll take. I can't even believe Albany's like a team. I'll take Maine in this one. I think Maine is overrated, but I think Richmond is just you know, hot garbage, so. Yeah, I'm going to pick Maine, too. I think Maine is, came into the season with high expectations, and then we realized that losing a head coach and a couple <laughs> people to graduation really means a lot when you're Maine's program. Um, but like you said, Richmond is literal hot garbage. Since losing Kyle Laletta. they have been able to do absolutely nothing on offense. And with that, Maine takes home the easy win. I like that. Oh, the other thing that we didn't talk about that I was interested in getting your thoughts on, what about that locker room celebration? JMU, I think it was probably a good thing, at least in my opinion, but they were stoked about winning that game. Well, it was kind of like last year on the homecoming game when they stormed the field when they hit the game-winner, game-winning field goal. Hey, they, two seasons, two storming of the field against Sunnybrook. I, I think we kind of discredit what that rivalry has become. It's actually a thing, yeah. Like, I think it's a huge rivalry. I think both sides don't really like each other. And I think the fact that JMU on the third game of a road stand could go into Stony Brook and pull out a gutsy win. It was a huge win. I I think it was a really big win. There's a lot of questions that we have about the team, and we did kind of bag and rag on them this entire beginning of the podcast. Let's just say it was a fantastic win against a quality, I'll say quality, Stony Brook opponent. Yeah. Um. It was a good win. It was a good win. There was a lot of questions, a lot of things to clean up, and a lot of things we want to see done differently. But we're also on a podcast on Jamie Sports News, and we're not the head coach of Jamie football. Right. Yeah, I think it makes sense for us to maybe be a little more critical. Um, not that he's not critical of the film. Yeah. But, but I think that, yeah, I mean, we're trying to analyze these things and look ahead cursing that he's not looking ahead he's enjoying the moment yeah and and then preparing for the next week all that stuff yeah and we're not going to give it back that was he was he's been smiling a lot (laughs) i will say that i've never seen the man smile this much the last week he's been super smiley they interviewed him like after practice tuesday he was just a ball of joy i don't know he's excited after this one and that was that was a great line he's like sometimes you gotta win 
one like this. And we ain't gonna give it back. That is for damn sure. Good stuff from Kurt Sagetti. <laughs> okay. Man, I was fired up. I was fired up, man. When he did that, I had chills. Woo. You know what I have chills about? Is it Danny Rocco's eyes? Because, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's this Delaware Elon game. <laughs> Who do you got? Yo, those things are scary. <laughs> anyway, he's awesome, though. Danny Rocco's fun to talk to. I will say Elon has been very disappointing. Which makes me think that Kurt Signetti's value is even like undervalued because they've not gone to like crap or anything. They're not playing nearly as well as we expected. They also Danny Rocco and Summers in their defense, they lost okay, true, one true, of true. the best running backs in CAA. Very true. Delaware nearly beat Pitt their last time out and then had a bye week. Danny Rocco letting the guys rest up, getting them fresh, and then he gets in there and he's He's practicing them hard this week, I would imagine. I think the Blue Hens are trying to prove something. The Blue Hens are going to North Carolina, trying to make a statement, and I think they win this game 9-6. to six. I'm looking at what Delaware's done this season. 9-6? to six. Wow, what real love. I think it's going to be gross because Danny Rocco and his guys are physical, they're tough, and they want this win. So what do they do? They go out and they just they muddy it up, and they find a way to win. That's a, probably a terrible score prediction given, like, how these teams play, but I'm going to say nine to six Delaware field goal contest. Okay, I'm going to go Elon. Um, Ooh, I had picked Elon before you picked Delaware. Not to be, I always feel like <laughs> I have to say that when I go. You <laughs> no, know, you don't. I am down, but I think Elon. Um, I don't know why. I just think they're going to win. I, uh, you know, that's good enough. They, honestly. They they gave their all for to Pitt and they lost by three and then they gave their all to North Dakota State and they lost by a hundred so take that as what you will. <laughs> okay. Okay, Albany Towson. Who do you got? Towson. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm never picking Albany again after what they did to me last week, where I picked that. Did I pick them last week? Yeah, I did. I was like, oh yeah, they beat William Mary, so I was like, oh wow, the Great Danes. I think Tom Flacco might throw for like 800 yards. Albany's terrible. Yeah, um, definitely Towson. Easy, easy pick. Yeah. Going into the last game of this CAA weekly pick on it's a big one. New Hampshire, they go on to Long Island against Stony Brook. Who do you got? I don't know. This was, this was <laughs> really, this one was really hard. <laughs> Man, and I don't research these. I was looking. I was. I like looked at this slate of games earlier this week, but I didn't like put in any any like research aside from like looking at Villanova and JMU. I just like looked at it and I was like, I know I'm not going to want to pick this game. New Hampshire has been competitive. They just beat Elon. They had beaten Duquesne before that. I'm scrolling. They beat Rhode Island before that. Are they good on the road? Well, they played FIU, so they played an FBS team on the road and lost. And they played Holy Cross on the road and lost. That's concerning to me. Give me Stony Brook. Give me Stony Brook. I think there could be an emotional hangover, but I'm going to say that Stony Brook finds a way to win. I think they're a pretty gutsy team, and I think they're going to have a little bit of confidence coming off of last week. Man, I'm going Stony Brook this week, too, um, which means I cannot tie you, which means if I go perfect, I only gain a game on you. Yeah, so I guess we'll be down three next week when uh, when Danny Rocco and company win nine to six in a game with seven missed field goals, but five made field goals. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, just 
Stony Brook gets at home. We saw how Stony Brook take JMU to the wire. New Hampshire's nowhere near as good as JMU. So Stony Brook pulls that one out. And with that, thanks for listening to this week's CAA Weekly Pick'em. I don't know why I said it like that. But I like now, that, we're out of it. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. back into it here's olympic sports coming at you the rundown men's soccer women's soccer field hockey volleyball a little bit of men's basketball media day thrown in there at the very oh yes good call good call thank you thank you let's start with men's soccer tough loss to uh villanova one nil and then the game before that they came back from three goals down i believe to tie three three against northeastern anything you to add about this men's soccer team they're in the dog days of summer right now not literally because it's fall but they're, I feel like they're in the stretch of the schedule where, like, mentally you're, like, in the middle of the semester. You've got midterms, and you're just, like, lit. Yeah. So they did this a little bit last year. They had, like, the last match of the season. They lost to, like, a terrible Elon team, and then they rallied. I'm not going to put too much stock in losing to Villanova or sort of the weird performance against Northeastern. I think they're going to lock in a little bit better on the road here at Delaware. And then they have a really tough match in Charlottesville on Tuesday at number one Virginia. After that, they've got a couple more home games, but they have a a pretty road-heavy end of the schedule. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll maybe lose another uh, one or two. There might be a tie somewhere in here. But they're going to go into the CAA tournament as one of the best teams. I think they'll make the NCAA tournament and be a a force. Yeah. I think their focus right now, after that Cal State-Fullerton game, they saw they had Northeastern Villanova and Delaware on their schedule. And I don't think they were that worried about that. And I think they mm-hmm. have October 15th circled in their mind as much as yep. they talk about this game and like the coach talk and player talk of like, all we're focused on is the next game at hand. That's, I don't think, I think subconsciously they're focused on UVA um, in these last two games. I think we'll see it against Delaware. They'll either want win a close one or they'll tie it. I think, but I think they'll come out against UVA and absolutely – I think they'll shock some people and get another uh, upset. Wow. I think they're definitely capable of doing it. That should be a, an interesting match. What about women's soccer? What have you seen from them so far? I have no idea. They're 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Like, they've won one, lost one, drawed one. Drew one? Like – Drawed. Drawed one. Druid. But they beat Northeastern 4-3 after coming back. Mm -hmm. They lost two – they tied William & Mary to start conference play 2-2. That was coming off of a win against LSU four days prior. And then at Delaware, they lost 1-0. They've done a little bit of everything. They're starting to hold opponents to not as many goals as they were 
really allowing – I mean, kind of. The Northeastern game, I, I don't know. Give me two more games. Next week, I'll know. Very true. I just don't know. Um, anything from you for women's soccer? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. I would <laughs> – no, not really. I mean, I think that they're a solid team and they can compete. But they're also kind of capable of, of losing to a lot of the teams in the CA. So I'm interested to see how they do in the tournament and sort of toward the end of the season. But right now, I'm not putting too much stock into each individual match. Yeah, and uh, now field hockey, I think they're in the bottom. I, I don't think they're a good program um, in the CAA. I think we're still in a rebuilding year. Lost 5-2 to two to open up CAA play. They beat Richmond 2-1. Next up, they have Drexel. I I don't have high hopes for this field hockey team. I think next year might be their year, but I think this is another lost year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're doing their best out there, yeah. but haven't haven't done a ton. We'll see how the rest of the CA play goes. It could be interesting. And I was just correcting a tweet that I sent where I said today in Jamie Sports, and I listened to events, but they're actually happening tomorrow, which is Thursday. There are no Jamie Sports on this Wednesday. Classic mix-up by me. <laughs> Well, while you're fixing that, let's head on over to Volleyball, who plays yes. today in the mm-hmm. tweet that we messed mm-hmm. up in. Look at that segue. Mm-hmm. Man, they lost another conference uh, conference match at home. Starting conference play, they're 2-2. Two two. Who would have thought that when their opening four games were at home? Um, now they're traveling to Elon. Were we too high on this volleyball team? Probably, yeah. Um, but I also I think we need to watch a little more just because it's only four conference matches so far. I think let's get a better feel as conference play continues. But yeah, I think we were we were all in on the Bolivian test, um, which we tend to do. We're wrong a lot, um, but yeah, I think they just need more time to sort of see what's going on. But I still think they're one of the best teams in the conference. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're one of the best teams. I mean, their talent wise is just so good that. I don't think you can't put them in the top top two teams, top three teams in this CAA. It is weird, though, that they have lost, they've lost their last two matches by a combined six sets to two. That is very concerning. But, you know, maybe, yeah, we were too high on them. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Last season, they lost three conference matches. This season, they've only lost two. So if they win out, I mean, it's better than last season in conference play. Very true. And now... To wrap it all up, men's basketball had the media day today, big time. Mm-hmm. Jamie Pegg finished fourth in the CAA. They did. Here was what can't talk. Here's what made me raise some eyebrows. They received some first place votes. Is that fair? I think it's fair. I think they bring back enough talent that they should be a top okay. That's, I didn't three or four like team. Um, but I would also, yeah, I mean it's. I don't know. It's really hard to say that a team that hasn't had a winning record in what, like four years? Matt Brady was here. Matt, my freshman yeah, so, three years. Yeah, so Lewis Rowe hasn't had a winning record, and some people are saying that they're going to win the conference. I think that's a little, a little. Um, I do think they should be, be a good team this year. I think they're improving under Rowe. I think they're recruiting incredibly well. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm not going to say they're going to win the national championship, but I'm not going to say they're not going to win the national championship, <laughs> right? Are they going to raise a banner one year from now for national title? I'm 
Let's not rule it out. Okay. <laughs> so they received some first place votes. And um, I don't know. Maybe those people know something that I don't. Maybe this team, I don't, they're not changing the way college basketball is played, but they are in a way. You know? No, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, I think they're fine where they are at fourth. I still need to see it until I believe it, though. Yeah. Matt Lewis, first team. Darius Banks, second team. Um, everything you said, yeah, I need to see it. I mean, last season I was so high on them before the season started because of what they had on paper. <laughs> yeah, you said they were going to win the, <laughs> the, win the uh, conference. <laughs> um, I think they have the roster to win it. Can coaching win it, though? Um, that's the question. I'm not sold on Coach Rowe, and I want him to prove me wrong. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I'm interested to actually watch them play. So I am I am very excited for basketball season to get here. I also am pumped to watch freshman Michael Christmas, who has gotten a lot of hype and is supposedly playing very well in practices. I think he's got a chance to do some special things. 6'6", 225-pound freshman, sort of like a forward guard combo on the wing. He's good. So I'm interested to watch him play. Yes, and we'll have more men's basketball talk. As the season draws nearer, we just wanted to kind of touch on what happened at media day today. Right. Anything else you want to add? We were football heavy today, some Olympic sports stuff. We were too high on volleyball. I can tell you all of that now. Anything else you have to add? Anything else we need to go out there and read? Anything like that? Anything at all? I don't know how many people are still listening, but for those that are, uh, women's tennis had a really good um, fall tournament result at the Wildcat invite. They did some good things, I think. I think a couple players or, or athletes, I forget exactly. It was like, is it Roca? Jonah Roca? Yeah. I might be saying that incorrectly, but she did really well and she won the second flight title. So that's a program that doesn't get a lot of attention just because sort of like the golf teams, you can't really watch them. Like they're never really televised or anything, um, but they're doing a really good job. I thought that I think James Bryce was the coach there and then he ended up leaving. And I thought there was going to be a big drop drop off and there just really hasn't been that big a drop off. They won the conference for the first time yeah. ever last year and, yeah, they're they're impressing. Yeah. Um, also, in other news of that types of sorts, Dukes, um, I'm reading this verbatim from the men's golf page, Dukes closed strong to take fourth at Mountaineer Invitational. And um, Kate Owens won CAA Women's Golfer of the Week. Nice. As a quick rundown. Shout out to Kate. Yeah, shout out Kate. But, yeah, that's, that's about all we have then uh, here for the JMU Sports News Podcast. Um, be sure to check us out over at www.jmusportsnews.com. You can check out the uh, kind of film dissection piece I put out. The last two pieces Bennett put out on throwing the ball more and next, I think it was an expectations for a Villanova game. I've got the throwing the ball and then there's a little thing on XFL people. XFL, that's what it is. Um, yeah, yeah a couple, so those couple Dukes. Things, oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. couple Dukes badly and what were it? Khalid and Terrence? And then it's Khalid and Terrence Alls, yeah. So they've got three that are in the draft pool, which the draft pool gets finalized. I guess it's on Friday, and then they actually draft on the 15th. Do you think anyone ends up in Dallas with Mickey? That would be interesting. I have no idea, because I don't really know. Yeah, neither do I. I don't know what these teams are looking for, but I'm going to say that (laughs) Dallas is going to take a look at Khalid Abdullah. That's my prediction. Okay. Based on nothing. Yeah, Vad probably won't go there because Mickey, that wasn't Mickey's coach. That was Gooder's coach. I hope Vad goes to D.C. Dope. 
I hope Terrence That'd be sweet. doesn't drop a wide open ball to lose the XFL championship. So <laughs> you can like us on like us on Facebook. Just search JMU Sports News. Go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at JMU Sports News. Um, but you're probably you're probably already done all of that if you're this deep into the podcast. Clearly, thousand followers. Yeah, we finally hit a thousand followers after <laughs> a year and some months. We hit it, and yeah. now we're all twenty followers. So we're looking at you, two thousand. Yeah. We're coming. We're coming we to are be basically the most followed JMU news source. Uh, I think we have to overtake yeah. Greg Medea, who's at like 2,500 or 3,000, something like that. But, yes, for Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whatever day you happen to be listening to this podcast. So, yeah, see ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.